0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our prayer this morning is that you would speak to us. That you speak to us through your uh, written word. That you would challenge us and encourage us, and that you would give us uh, ears to listen to and uh, minds to understand and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, we're beginning a new series this morning uh, that will lead us up to Advent, and then as we enter the Advent season, we'll follow the Advent readings, uh, the seasonal preparation uh, that leads us up to uh, Christmas. I'm going to work through the book of Philippians, Uh, First of all, and then through uh, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, Colossians. They're both uh, very short uh, letters, both quite punchy. And together with Ephesians and Philemon, they're known as the prison letters. They're known as this because they were written while Paul was himself in prison. A letter this morning, the Philippians, uh, is called that because it's written to the church at Philippi. Philippi was a city in the Roman province of Macedonia. It had that name because it was founded by Philip the Great, who was the king of uh, Macedonia, father of Alexander the Great. It was founded in 360 uh, BC, an important part of uh, the Macedonian uh, Greek Empire. Thirty years before Christ, it was conquered by the Romans, and it became a Roman colony. And uh, the governor there, Roman governor, was very canny. And so what he did was he offered uh, free land to any retiring uh, Roman soldiers. Anywhere in the empire who uh, needed a place to live, they could come and have some free land in Philippi and uh, build their house there and settle there. So it became a little bit of Rome abroad. And it also meant there was a few uh, handy ex-soldiers around in case the uh, locals uh, got too troublesome. Paul's preaching of the gospel in Philippi was uh, probably the first time that the Christian message entered into Europe. His establishing a church there was uh, the first strategic step in bringing a continent to Christ. But that church was not there because of great planning, or great strategy, or great organization. It was there because Paul responded to a vision he had in the night. You can read the story in Acts chapter 16. The apostle is intending to travel to Asia to preach. But in a vision during the night, perhaps a kind of very vivid dream, he sees a man dressed in Macedonian clothes. And he stands and he begs Paul, Please, please come, please come and help us. The way to Asia is blocked. Paul changes his plans and they enter Macedonia and they travel to Philippi. There's a story of Acts and Falls. We read that uh, when Paul got there, he did what was his normal custom, entering a new town. He went to the synagogue to meet with the Jews and tell them of the Jewish Messiah. But in Philippi, because it was uh, such a kind of Uh, greek city with a roman colony he found very uh, few jews there and there was no synagogue so on the sabbath he just walked around to see where he could find people praying and down by the riverside he finds what's known as a place to pray a place where uh, jews would gather regularly to pray but there weren't enough of them to formally constitute a synagogue and there he finds a group of women One of these is Lydia, which, interestingly, is a Gentile, not a Jewish name. And she's a dealer in purple cloth. Uh, Purple was a really expensive dye in the ancient world, uh, so she's probably a woman of means. She's probably uh, an independent uh, businesswoman. She's the first one who responds to Paul's message about Jesus. And as a result, she opens her home to him. And it becomes a base for a small house church, a small home group, uh, which grow and uh, develop there. Don't underestimate the gift of hospitality. Don't underestimate the importance of opening your home uh, to others. Lydia opens her home to Paul. As a result, a small church uh, grows and uh, is nourished there. The first outpost of what will become Christian Europe. In our gospel reading we hear of Martha opening her home to the Lord Jesus Christ, allowing him in, making him welcome. Don't undervalue the gift of hospitality, a gift we can share in the life of the church. Conflict ensues, Paul is arrested, and the second convert is the uh, jailer of the jail in which he's placed. He and his companion Silas are held in prison, they they sing hymns and they pray. There's uh, a dramatic uh, earthquake, Uh, the the jailer's uh, terrified of uh, what's happened, he falls on his knees, he says, please save me, and uh, he becomes a Christian along with his family, and they're baptised. God works in a dramatic way. Paul would testify how uh, the Lord Jesus set him free from prison. The same Paul who's writing this letter chained to a Roman guard. The same Paul who would uh, spend uh, years in prison and ultimately die for his faith. Do you wrestle in your life with uh, God being absent? Do you wrestle in your life with those times when God uh, seems not to act and not to answer your prayers? Do you find it hard to understand how perhaps uh, years ago or not so long ago God intervened in a very dramatic way, uh, answered a prayer in a very obvious, vivid, uh, real way? And uh, you give thanks for that and you're encouraged by that but then you struggle to see why he's not working in the same way perhaps in a friend's life or perhaps in a similar situation again in your own life. I imagine Paul had that same wrestling. I imagine Paul found it difficult to understand how God could free him from jail the next and then uh, leave him uh, chained to a Roman jailer uh, for years. He saw God's hand in both later in the letter to the philippians which we'll look at another week uh, he writes to the church i long to come come to you but i can't because i'm in chains but yet i have the opportunity to witness to the jailers who have chained me perhaps he was thinking of that uh, first jailer who became a christian in philippi partnership working with lydia and the church there, persecution, being imprisoned for his faith, God working in dramatic ways, and at other times, God working in invisible ways. These are all elements in the story of the birth of the church in Philippi, and they're all themes that Paul will return to in this letter. Another theme that we see in this letter is that of joy. In our reading today, verse 4, In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. The noun joy or verb rejoice are used 16 times in this short letter, just four chapters. Paul speaks of joy in prayer, joy in the fruit of his work, joy in the face of suffering and even death. He rejoices in the unity of the church. He rejoices that the gospel is being preached. He encourages his readers to rejoice in their faith and in their relationship with the Lord. Philippians 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Paul's letter has lessons for the church of his day and lessons for the church of our day. I want to just uh, think briefly about two of those this morning. First is this, Paul reminds them that God is committed to their transformation. And his letter reminds us that God is committed to our transformation. Verse six, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Michelangelo was a great uh, sculptor, a great artist. Uh, many great works of uh, art came from his uh, chisel and from his paintbrush. There's a story told, apocryphal story, I'm sure, of him uh, pushing a heavy rock up the hill to his studio. As he sweated and strained to roll this rock up the Hill. his neighbours, came out to uh, watch him struggle. One of them called out to him, Michelangelo, why do you labour so hard to push that heavy, ugly rock to the top of the hill? Why do you labour so hard to push that heavy, ugly rock to the top of the hill? Michelangelo's reply... Because there is an angel inside that longs to come out. The good news is that God loves us with an everlasting love, a love that is strong, a love that is pure, a love that is holy. He loves us too much to leave us as we are when He first first meets us. He desires us to change. He longs us to sculpt us into his image. His image made flesh in the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us are perfect. All of us have flaws, uh, quirks, uh, besetting sins, uh, sensitive areas. None of us are completely whole. Inside all of us, I'm sure, there is a beautiful angel that longs to be released. And God's desire is that we be transformed. And by his spirit, he's at work in our lives to bring about that transformation, to make us people who resemble him more closely, people who reflect his likeness more accurately. And one of the ways he brings about this change is by taking us and setting us in churches. He calls us to follow him and then sets us amongst a body of fellow believers. He calls us to live out our discipleship in their company. And that isn't always easy to do. In every church there are people we find it difficult to get along with. People uh, we rub up the wrong way. People who are a challenge for us. It was the same in the church at Philippi. Paul writes to them to encourage them to maintain uh, the unity they have in Christ. But these difficulties are not just flaws in the church. They're a means of God's grace of transformation. It's through working at relationships, dealing with difficulties, praying through hard issues, the messy stuff of church life, that we are transformed into the likeness of Christ. It's through uh, dealing with the messy stuff of church life that we discover new resources. Resources of patience, of self-control, of love and of joy. If there's no one to love, you can't become more loving. If there's no uh, challenges to face, you can't become more patient. If there's no um, difficulties within ourselves to wrestle with, you can't grow in the grace of self-control. If there are no hardships to endure, you can't grow in joy through suffering. The key is to approach these challenges in the right way. To seek to meet them with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ a grace that Paul prays for his uh, followers. Two barriers to this transformation, two things that can hinder this uh, work that God seeks to do, two things that can uh, hold back this good work, which he will bring to completion, but which we can slow down. First is just simple apathy. There's a story told of two men walking along the road. Two uh, old men. They're walking along the road and a warty frog jumps out and hops along beside them. One of them takes an interest in this frog and he uh, bends down and he picks it up. And as he's looking at it with his companion, the frog opens his mouth and rather than a ribbit, it speaks. It speaks. It says, I am not a frog. I am a beautiful princess, and I have been cursed by a witch, and one kiss will set me free. If you love me and you kiss me, I will marry you, and you can live with me in my palace happily ever after. Man takes the frog and he puts it in his pocket. And his companion says, What are you doing? Aren't you going to kiss the frog? Aren't you going to meet the princess? Aren't you going to live in the palace happily ever after? The man says, well, at my time of life, I think I'd rather have a talking frog. (laughs) Paul writes of the transformation that God longs to bring into our lives. He writes to encourage us, to participate with God's Spirit, to take hold of everything that he has for us. But we can decide we just want a talking frog. God is at work in your life, but you can ignore him. You can resist him. You can be apathetic. You can hold his work back. Or you can go to the other extreme, you can uh, be too introspective, uh, too hard on yourself, uh, too uh, desiring of change that you're always uh, searching and looking to see where it is. A few months ago, our children brought home uh, some homework from school, um, a little bulb that they had to uh, bury in the garden and water it and you know, feed it and watch it grow. Uh, two of them did well, um, one not so well. And we discovered the reason that the one that wasn't doing so well wasn't doing so well was that a certain member of our family was going out about every 20 minutes and digging it up to see how the roots were getting on. (laughs) You've been there too. But we can be the same as we look in our lives. We can be too hard on ourselves. We can be too uh, introspective. We can be too anxious to see the fruit of God's work in our lives that we just dig over and dig over and dig over and don't give him time to work. Paul writes to encourage the church. He who began a good work in you will complete it. And secondly, he writes of their partnership in the gospel. Verse 4 and 5. In all my prayers, I thank God for all of you because of your partnership in the gospel until now. Currently reading the autobiography of a man called Scott Jurek. He's a man who's run uh, further, faster than anybody else alive. Uh, He's an American. Uh, He takes part in a a sport known as uh, ultra running. Uh, He runs races over 100 miles long. Uh, he runs marathons back to back. He once uh, turned up at a marathon just for a little uh, training and discovered that he'd uh, turned up at the end of the marathon and not the beginning. So he ran from the finish to the start line uh, the night before and then ran from the start line to the finish on the day of the race and won it uh, quite comfortably. Uh, he's run through Death Valley, he's run a race of 140 miles. He's done incredible feats of endurance and he's known as a great hero in the running world. But as you read his autobiography, you discover that he's not done these events alone. He has a team who work with him, pacers who pace him, Uh, a wife who supports him, Uh, nutritionists who help him uh, get the right uh, food, sports companies who design the right shoes for him. Yes, he's an incredible character. But he doesn't run just alone. He's part of a team. Paul too is part of a team. And he writes to encourage that team, that church. He's travelled the ancient world. He's preached Jesus in many difficult and varied places. He's planted churches. But he hasn't done it on his own. He's done it with his partners. And partners... The word Paul uses here is actually a business word. He actually writes, I've done it with you, my business partners. Meaning those who have an equal share, an equal investment. Those who put their own money into this company. Those who will have a share of the profits as this company goes well. Those who will suffer if this company goes under. He thanks them for their partnership in the ministry. His letter is a reminder that ministry is for everyone. It's not just the preserve of the leaders, the vicars, the ministers, those who are uh, committed, if you like. But the work of the church is exactly that, the work of the church. Not just the apostle, not just the minister. A work that is to be shared. A load that is to be carried, a place where everybody has a part to play. Paul writes to thank them for their partnership. There's something else unique to Scott Jurek, that runner. When he finishes a marathon, or an ultra marathon, 100 miles, however far uh, he runs, he doesn't do what I would do. Well, I would die. He doesn't do that. <laughs> He doesn't go and have a lie down, he doesn't go and have a shower, he doesn't go and have something to eat, he doesn't collapse on the floor, Uh, but he turns around and he begins to cheer home at those who he's beaten. He stays at the finish line until everybody has finished. For me, the most encouraging thing about reading his autobiography is seeing his character. After running 100 miles, perhaps running for 20, 25 hours, he will stop and he'll wait another ten hours and cheer home every runner who completes the race. Paul's writing to encourage the church to finish the race and to thank them for their partnership. Our church too, St Giles, starts a new season this term. Truth is, there's more ministry to be done now than there ever was before. There's a need for people to step up to the plate, to play their part. Today we say farewell to Tom, our youth worker, as he's released into a wider ministry and prepares uh, for church leadership. There's a need for more people to help out and take part in our youth work. There's a need for more leaders in our junior church. Lots of children came to our holiday club, Lots of children flooded out this morning. We need men and women who will commit themselves to the ministry here at St. Giles. Not just in our youth work, not just in our children's work, in every area of church life. In our choir, in our music groups, in our other ministries that we have. In our work with young and with old. In our work inside the church and outside the church. To be honest with you, we need people who will throw their hearts and souls into this work. We need people who will live and breathe the ministry of this church. We need people who will uh, support this work uh, financially. So much more that we could do here at St. Giles. If all the resources that are available were truly available. I believe that here at St. Giles, we have all the resources we need for the ministry that God has called us to. We just need to put those resources at God's disposal. So this morning, I want to do what Paul does. I want to thank you for your partnership in the gospel. I want to say that I pray for you with joy, and I do. I want to gently encourage you, as we begin a new new term, a new chapter in our church life, to prayerfully consider where your partnership lies, where your role fits, which area of our church's ministry is the place for you to serve. But don't ever forget that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. In the name of Christ, amen.